That is Eddie Vega. And that is Chiburduña. And this is Words. And Shit. Brought to you by the Blah Poetry Spot and Write Art Out. The show where you get to know the person behind the poetry. So, uh, Jimmy, you, uh, you went to middle school, didn't you? <laughs> Regrettably so, yes. <laughs> All right. Um, what was that experience like? Was it one of your like, favorite moments of uh, growing up? Those people listening to the podcast can't see the look I'm giving you. <laughs> I'm giving you a look, Eddie. There are furled brows, in case you, you can't see. Mm-hmm. Actually, I know you can't see. There, there are brows. There are brows. There are furrowed as much as they can be with the Botox. Yeah. I'm kidding. I don't have Botox. Um, middle school. Yeah, I think it's no secret. I was an odd child in middle school. Uh, that was when I started wearing all black all the time. Wow. Which then set me up for my career in Mac perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> Where I had to wear all black all the time. I was like, I already have a closet full of black. Uh, but yes, uh, started wearing all black all the time. I was also a, an avid wrestling fan, you know, which you might not have known. No, no. Um, but which wasn't out of the norm, you know, that got me some friends. But my favorite wrestler was Mankind. Okay. Because he was an oddball himself. Mm-hmm. And I just took it a little too far. <laughs> and I would have a little Mr. Socko sock puppet at school with me. And I mean, you can imagine the bullying that went on. Oh, no. With that. Ah. Yeah, I think everyone should be homeschooled during middle school. I don't know, like it just, middle school is one of those transitional periods that you, you got to get through, but Lord, it's rough getting through. What, what, about, what about you, Eddie? Were you a sad oh, kid? Yeah, I mean, I, I wonder if there's anybody out there who actually had a good middle school experience, because I know, I know I didn't. Um, I was in band, uh, I tried theater, uh, I tried tennis, and if those aren't three things that you can bully somebody for, I don't know what is. I mean, like, I, I was, it was like a trifecta there. <laughs> and also, I was, like, in all the smart classes, so there was always that kind of, like, you know, you're different when you're in those, those classes set aside from others. Uh, and I also did basketball, or I tried to do basketball, and I ended up – I am not athletic. If You probably do know that. Um, I uh, actually injured my wrist in successive years to where I had casts um, and for most of middle school I had a cast on my wrist or my arm um, and they were, that was just not a fun time. <laughs> but we got through it. But we got through it because, you know, like Katy Perry and uh, Nietzsche said... <laughs> What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Wasn't that Kelly Clarkson? Oh, maybe it's Kelly Clarkson. I don't know. <laughs> I'm the resident queer. I should know these things. Uh, <laughs> but we had, a, we had a great conversation with, with a writer, with a poet. Um, and she talks a lot about that, about these rough experiences that we have to get through, these traumas that we live through, and how going through them can then create amazing work yeah and it did for her she does amazing work 
she worked through that and uh, now is, is using that, I mm. guess. I felt healed after listening to, after having that conversation. So I can't wait to share it and uh, let's just get right into it. Uh, Ebony Payne English is an author, performance artist, educator from Jacksonville, Florida, the first woman to establish her own chapter of the international poetry organization, Black on Black Rhyme. She's the curator of the Museum of Contemporary Arts, Jacksonville's first hip hop exhibition, The God MC, and the 2017 Cultural Council of Greater Jacksonville's Emerging Artist. Uh, I could go on and on with all of these awards, but she's also been a TEDx speaker. Uh, she's been on in the Florida Time, on PBS's Homegrown, uh, Jacks by Jacks, uh, lots of stuff over there. Her educational background is actually from Florida A&M University and Florida mm -hmm. State University. Um, and uh, she's defining, her defining piece is as a playwright, um, a one-woman autobiographical, autobiographical entitled On Purpose. Uh, it opened to critical acclaim in April of 2017 at WJCT Television Studios in Jacksonville. Uh, on a personal note, she's one of the first people that I met at Southern Fried who, uh, and everyone's nice at Southern Fried, but Ebony takes it to another to another level. Uh, one of the nicest, uh, most talented people that you will meet. Mm, Ebony Payne English, how are you doing your beautiful self? I am so blessed, thank you. That was very kind of you, very kind of you, you honor me, thank you. Thank you. Hi. Hi. I, I second that. You, it's definitely every every Southern Fried. You are one of them smiling, beautiful faces that is just there to welcome everyone to this space and just sets the tone and the energy for uh, a great, what is always a great week and what we're looking forward to next year. That makes me so happy because, of course, that's my goal. Like, uh, that's the one thing that I can do is bring joy to this space. Because there is, especially as poets, I think there's so much trauma and sadness in the world that we um, have the sometimes burden of processing and communicating. So like uh, kind of re-injuring ourselves sometimes and mask when we come to these big festivals where we're not only um, expressing our pain, but also absorbing it. No. So I really do my best to try to bring joy to that space because I, I love y'all, man. I, poets <laughs> saved my life, man. Yeah. I love poets, for real. They kept me from so much. And, um, I try to get that back to them and let them know I'm happy that they hear that we survived. You know? Ain't that the truth? Ain't that the truth? Let's dive right in. So we're going to start the way that we do every week and just get out of your way and let you share some poetry with us. So without further ado, Ebony, take it away. They, um. So before I exchange, because this is an exchange, it's not just um, me presenting my work. It's also an energetic conversation with those of you who are open to receive it right now. So even though that um, we're not communicating verbally, uh, I think that um, we're so powerful that we can absolutely transfer energy across the internet. You know, just like one of the electric waves, you know what I'm saying? So we don't say these affirmations anyway, even though you're not here with me. Um, so if you could find your skin and touch it someplace, you know, <laughs> I am whole and complete. I am divinely capable. Life is blessed by my presence. And I am present. And I am ready. And I am willing. 
Ashe. Um, the fact of the matter is Andrew Jackson was allergic to the sun. Its fiery kisses blistered his skin, turned his pious pale putrid pink. I think that's why he was such an ornery bandit. Everything on this planet is fueled by rays, but that Jackson shade be the coldest countenance. That Jackson hate be a youthful fountain of if you can't beat them, kill them. If they thrive in the light, write a pact such as the Indian Removal Act to ensure the perpetuation of your place in this nation, even if in nature you have not one. The trail of tears the people of the sun have cried floods the Mississippi River some nights, does not evaporate with the morning. Yet without warning, the sun rises with the spirit of 125,000 ancestors daily. We innately continue to melanate and display compassion for those like Andrew Jackson, who possess a tragic allergy to humanity, life and light, if only a prescription would suffice. Um, that was my first time performing that piece. Uh, recently, um, they renamed our town square, our uh, our park in the center of the city downtown. It was called Hemming Plaza, and it was a Confederate memorial uh, park. And then right down the street, there was another Confederate memorial park. And so recently, they changed. Um, it's a Veterans, Veterans Memorial Plaza for all veterans. And then the Hemming Park, they changed it to James Weldon Johnson Park. And he's from Jacksonville, Florida. And he was a scholar here. He opened a school here that's right now one of the top college preparatory schools in the country. It's called Stanton. And he also, him and his brother, Rosamond, wrote Lift Every Voice and Sing, which is um, the Negro National Anthem. And um, they named the they renamed the Confederate one of the Confederate parks after him, um, and I was in that park today, and so that made me want to share that poem tonight. I count that as a as a W. But um, they will push you over the edge, lie in wait for you to fall like prey into statistical references that perpetuate institutional preferences for minorities and males. The sliding scale is a slippery slope. You won't get a chance to remount. They will discount your intelligence, pay your accomplishments no mind. Until you define yourself for yourself, you'll be crunched into other people's fantasies of yourself and eaten alive. Audrey tried to warn us as best she could. The cannibals are coming in search of fresh blood. They will beat you fair and square. You see black people in boxes as part of this country's pedagogical alignment, whether it's caskets or solitary confinement and where has the time went to maximum sentences for first time offenses. This is survival. One of the oldest stories told in the Bible, you are not a citizen. Cain has disabled your membership. The state of Iowa is 89% Caucasian. For every one white male, there are eight black men in incarceration, but this is the world's greatest nation. Our black president supported prison privatization because it aided in stimulating the economy. It had done wonders for Wall Street, but they keep that on the hush 
as we walk around in designer earplugs beaten by Dre. Every derogatory word these rappers say is a paid advertisement for prison bunks express and at blind consumption we seem to be the best still stressed and under financial duress but guess what they haven't even changed the game up they haven't even changed the name still using those whips and chains to maintain our compliance i feel like i'm being defiant when i pull up clean and shit so let's jig boo jig let's work until it hurts let's shake our asses if we were auditioning for the Sarah Bartman Circus Act. Now, who is that? These are all questions best asked on Google. I live in a state where parents of murdered children still peacefully march for justice sake. But today, we're going to face some facts. Peaceful marches are not what passed the Civil Rights Act. It was the inhumanity the media was able to display on a global stage that made segregation bad for foreign relations. And the United States does not tolerate any interference with business or image. That thing with the fire hoses and German shepherds made us lepers at the UN. Put tension in trade agreements. And you may deem this bitter banter. But George Zimmerman was not arrested until they brought in the cameras. Yet these motherfuckers never loved us. Remember? <laughs> They used to never want to hear us, but we trust them to educate our youth. Only for our scholars like Henry Louis Gates, Cornell West, and the Blessed Maya Angelou to teach at Ivy League schools, alumni of HBCUs graduate and turn their backs. Nasir Jones gave a hip hop fellowship to Harvard University and of its student populace. How many do you think are black? And they want to tell me that's progress. I still feel like we've lost our minds. There's like an innate and cultivated hate for ourselves and our own kind. And before we disagree, we consider black a black crime and the effortless matriculation of our neighborhoods decline. Let's continue to feed these babies corn syrup and swine, knowing it causes diabetes. We'll stand idly by as the pharmaceutical industry makes a killing off killing we medicated mockeries of our forgotten history. Yeah, oh, what clueless lives we lead, continuously feeding frivolously off fictional saviors that have long lost their savor. A mirage enchanted pupil, dilated with narcotic fallacies, unscrupulous deeds destructive by nature, a miseducated population. We be on our worst behavior. Unpopular opinion, but I actually enjoy Drake's music sometimes. I think worst behavior was a pretty motivating song. You know what I'm saying? Motherfuckers never loved that. Remember? You know what I'm saying? Now they want to roll away. You know, I'd be experiencing that in my life. Okay. It was like a, a lot of shit to say, you know, but it's all good. It's it's all good because um, what happens to me happens to y'all, dear hearts, you know, whether you, you love me or not, you know, what happens to you happens to me. And that's just a reality we can't escape. This planet, we're all, you know, plugged into that algorithm and it wasn't voluntary. That's how we arrived. You feel me? So it's like, we here now and we got to deal with that. So you're going to have to do it with this love and this joy and this magic and these poems. <laughs> and I'll get into, I'm going to do two more. And then um, we're going to get into these questions uh, that some may have for me. Um, callings are coming.
cumbersome burdens barely capable of being carried. They are scary, painful, confusing. Refusing to be ignored, they bang on your soul's door and implore your heart to answer. They are similar in a way to cancer. Parasitically draining all of your energy. I tried to escape, but the search party spanned my surroundings, hunted me down, meaning to build me back up. I returned to the ride or die. Ironically, this calling has been what's been keeping me alive. Forces of opposition have tried to snuff me out. Doubt has tried to make a coward out of me. I speak unflinchingly. Lion to spine, I grind on. Time after time, I'm made strong by my defeats. Standing on my feet, sturdily planted, I keep growing, learning turning opposition into opportunity so that preparation may reap success. The calling requires that I guard my chest due to heartbreak bringing inevitable. And there are moments those demons will catch up to you. The floods will upset you and every God bless you doesn't come with a sneeze. Sometimes it's easier to believe the negative things people say before you believe your own progress. I've accomplished so much and still, I feel the most out of touch when I consider this calling and all the things that are befalling my fate due to me attempting to stay in this place, stay in my lane, and stay the course. Um, I'm going to do uh, one more piece from my cell phone. I've been writing. I usually use my notebooks. Um, but ever since like quarantine began, I've um, experienced like just a withdrawal like from my my notebook, and I'm not quite sure because it's been with me like I, I'm a notebook shouty like I don't leave home without it type. It's been with me, but it's felt as of late more natural for me to um, just grab my notes on my mobile device and just you know put them in a little by little. Um, so I'm, I'm seeing what's up with that because most of what's coming in my next uh, compilation, it will be like the poems that I wrote during quarantine in my cell phone. So I'm excited about that. And I'm gonna share one of them with you. And I miss the stages, the creaky ones, the small ones, the shiny wood platforms, the ones covered in Marley, the ones with Garvey flags, the ones that have DJ booths, and I miss the DJs too. The ones who master grooves, the soulful dudes, the hip hop heads, the club goes crazy ladies, the curators of the culture, the local ones, the global phenoms, the ones whose spins aren't for sale, and I miss the clubs as well. The crowded kind, the ones with no line, the dance halls, the ones with fall, the ones with poetry, the ones who let women in free, the ones where men don't harass me, the ones with strippers, the ones with the food truck that sells honey drippers at 2 a.m. Y'all, I miss them. By them, I meant my tribe. The ones with the vibe, the ones made of light, 
the ones who can still feel bright in a room full of stars, the ones who stay charged, the ones who always pay you back, the ones who watch your back, the ones who never front, the ones who can be blunt without being disrespectful, the ones who are careful in their dealings, the ones who offer safety to express your feelings and truths. I love you. I love you. I do. The last time I was at Birdie's Mass Appeal Spun, I got really drunk. Rochelle Chi and me had some much needed fun. I talked someone out of shooting the place up. May she rest in peace. With Cafe 331, may they keep Borough Bar Company and TSI whole before COVID-19 ravaged small businesses in this country. Jacksonville's elbow broke. Our favorite bars closed. Our Black-owned cigar lounge got bowed out. Shad Khan's Northern Connects moved to the South and opened establishments. The price of rent went through the roof, forcing so many local owners into retirement. And now downtown is shiny with Diamante. And I miss Thursdays. The hip-hop and hookah kind. The black-on-black -black rhyme presents the cypher kind, the ones that included chaining ceremonies, the ones that weren't this lonely. Hashem. And then, um, yeah. <laughs> I feel like the Democratic National Convention with our fake applauses. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh my goodness! It's hmm, it's a new world we're living. It is. Listen, I was fucked. Can I say that? Yeah, yeah. It's called like, I and was shit. fucked up today because I read the news about those men being uh, indicted, um, and everybody was like, "They're going to jail." The people who crowdfunded for the wall to be built, yo. And I was more fucked up that they raised twenty five million dollars, and the fact that they ain't give it to the government. Fuck that. The mm. fact that motherfuckers raised $25 million to build a motherfucking wall? Mm -hmm. Where are we? Where? What the fuck is going on, man? Like, mm -hmm. this is the future? Yeah. Hate fuels funding fast. <laughs> Hate fuels funding fast, y'all. <laughs> no, nothing's wrong. I was complaining about the world. <laughs> Go back to your fantasy. Oh, did your girl just run in? <laughs> she ran in like, what's going on? And you know what? We're missing the other walls like three miles. It's emergency. But, yeah. <laughs> but that last poem, though, uh, everything about—I mean, I don't—I don't. Your scene is different from mine, but I can identify with everything that you said. Yeah. You, know, you might have the honey dripper uh, truck, and and ours is like a taco truck. You know, <laughs> uh, like at midnight or two or three or four in the morning, and uh, all that. You know that that yeah. whole. You know, you have your your scenes. You have your uh, your, uh, your street full of, of venues and bars and clubs, and uh, we have one called Saint Mary Street. And man, and Saint Mary Street is horrible sometimes. But I miss that. <laughs> I miss that. I miss the ratchetness of it all. I miss the ratchetness of it all. Drunk people in the street, me being one of them. Oh, oh, like after a poetry show, like that's the best time ever. Like to be standing outside after a show mm -hmm. with a, that that just had an amazing feature and a dope ass open mic, and people got free and souls were were saved and lives were changed. And now you're outside with all of your homies talking about something that has nothing to do with any of it. Right? You know what I'm saying? Just being yeah. ratchet and, and wow. Do you, have, do you have that parking that the parking lot conversation where you're trying to decide where to go eat? Yes, exactly. And we always end up going to the same place. Yeah. <laughs> That's the first place we suggested. 
that's yeah. that's where we're gonna end. Up. <laughs> It's that idea of like a, a sense of community, right? When we all come together, you know, yeah. uh, and you are no stranger to, to building spaces for community. You know, you were yeah. uh, one of the first board members for Southern Fried. Um, you've done a lot of work in your community. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, the things that you've done to like build this community that you hold so dear? Yeah, I, um, so I'm a, I'm a strong advocate for chosen family if you have family trauma, you know, because if your chosen family can heal you in ways that even forgiving uh, whatever situation you endure with your your biological family, like uh, that the ways they can't reach you because one of the biggest things I know I struggle with is just being misunderstood um, by a lot of people in my immediate family. And so I, Poetry was a place where I could go and to understand and be understood. Like, that's the greatest good. That's my little saying that I, I, I communicate to my students. It's like, mm. you know, to understand and be understood. Like, that's that's the greatest good that can happen because it makes you less alone in the world. Like, mm. somebody gets it. Um, and everybody should have that experience at least once. And for me, it was the poetry community. And then it evolved into the greater artistic community, really any artistic community um, has just really that I've entered has embraced me and loved on me and healed me in, a, in a, a number of ways. In every way that I was wounded, I was able to heal through art, um, which is why I think it's so important, right? To continue and um, in an educational way and as a behavioral intervention um, and therapeutic means of, of just self-identity and awareness, because that's really important especially growing up as a minority in Southern United States. Mm -hmm. So that was like where it started for me, which is when I figured out that uh, a lot of people didn't have a voice, I was, I was in the seventh grade, I believe. Mm -hmm. I was in the seventh grade. I was going to Jefferson Davis Middle School. And one of my classmates, uh, that had went on to high school. He was two years older than me. So he was in ninth grade of high school. He got hit by a Frito-Lay truck on the way to the bus stop. And it was because on our street, they didn't have street lights and sidewalks. So high schoolers go, it's still dark outside. Mm -hmm. And so high schoolers go and walk to the bus, like in the grass. They have to walk in the grass and walk in the street. And one morning he got hit, he died on impact. And I never realized how important sidewalks and streetlights were. And I didn't realize we didn't have them and other kids did. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? That was the first time I realized when you poor, nobody gives a fuck. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. that was the first time that it all landed on me. You know what I'm saying? And, and so we, we protested. Mm -hmm. Me and my classmates protested with his grandmother and his family. Um, we skipped school, we protested, and we stood on, on the street and said, lights and sidewalks, we want them now. Until the news came, until the, the police came, until they heard us. You know what I'm saying? And to this day, there are street lights and sidewalks there. And, and that is where my community building started. I found out that mm -hmm. my neighborhood could change the course of someone's life. Yeah. My neighborhood alone could save someone's life if they really came together and decided that that's what they wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And that had never seemed like an issue, like something that needed to happen to me until then. And um, so I got, I got involved in activism 
from middle school through high school. I went to a performing arts high school that was named after a civil rights leader because I didn't want to go from Jeff Davis to Forest High, Nathan Beck Forest High, which that, you know, my brother Omatayo um, started a petition because his daughter was on to go there. I was on to go there. All five of my siblings went to that high school. Um, I would not, you know what I'm saying? And so it came time for his daughter to go there and he put a petition out to change the name. And we pushed it and the community came together and got them signatures for his daughter's sake. And the name has changed. It's West Side High now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That happened. And then at Douglas Anderson, nobody even, some of my teachers didn't even know his name after a black man, a civil rights leader in our community. You know what I'm saying? All the busts at the school, they in bronze or something like that, and all the pictures of them in black and white. And they don't even have that in a curriculum. It's an art school. It's one of the top art schools there is. Mm. And so I was one of the few black kids there. <laughs> and we we did a Black History Month showtime to educate them. Mm-hmm. On the, the rich cultural history of the high school that we attend. And we all were um, daishikis and Ankara to school that day. And we did a Black History Month showcase. And for many of the Black students, that was their first time being able to perform on a main stage show because yeah. we weren't being cast and we weren't being, you know. So we had to create our own show. We couldn't complain about it. We had to just make a way. And like the activities director, she she fucked with me. You know, she she saw something in me, and so she she got it done. She made sure that we got it done, and we got it done. And um, that's a really big deal. Um, and from there, I went off to college. I was 18 years old when I got into Black on Black Rhyme, or Black on Black Rhyme got into me. Mm. And that gave me a platform now to do the community building that I was so passionate about before. And they had me, um, my sophomore year of college, they had me go into the juvenile detention center in Tallahassee. And I did a poetry workshop with Keith Rogers, who's the founder of Black on Black Rhyme International, Big Ups to Keith. Um, and we went in to there and I found it. Like I found that, that thing that I, I wanted to do with my life. And I was like, I wanted to give the energy that my, my activities director and my gifted teacher and my you know, poetry coach had given to me. Mm-hmm. I wanted to give that to the youth who were incarcerated, youth who are serving court order drug rehab, and so youth who are in the foster care system. And so that has been what I've been doing ever since. I've been working in the nonprofit sector um, for 17 years now. And um, it's my passion. I'm a managing director at a conservatory for uh, foster teens, teens involved in the juvenile justice system and teens doing court-ordered drug rehab. Um, and we are going strong. We just finished our ninth consecutive year of summer camp called Just Like Me. <laughs> and we're um, about to start our second year of after-school program called Squackles. So I'm really excited with that. Um, from awesome. there, I got into Southern Fried. <laughs> There's so much to unpack there. Uh, Cause you even, you know, like just uh, in, in the few years that I've known you in your adult life, you have never been one to shy away from the issues. And it seems yeah. like that, that has been a trend that your entire life. Um, yeah. Talk a little bit about how your activism and your art come together. <laughs> well, I was a sad kid, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Like all of us motherfucking poets. 
stop talking about me like I'm not here. <laughs> I was a sad kid, man. Damn. I taught myself to read and write when I was four because my siblings would tease me and tell me I was adopted because I was weird and I was sad, you know, and they was all jolly and shit. <laughs> and so they was like, you're adopted. <laughs> and they would go in my parents' closet and like pull out some papers and show them to me. Like, see, it says here you're adopted, but I couldn't read. I was like, couldn't read, you know? So I taught myself to read. <laughs> And um, all of the books that I was reading, they rhymed. It was Dr. Seuss and shit. So all of them rhymed. So I thought that when you wrote things down, um, they're supposed to rhyme. And my parents did not discourage me. They let me write like that. And then my teachers thought it was the cutest thing. She's a poet. Oh, my goodness. And then they put me in a talent show. And I won that bid. And um, <laughs> so I was like, oh, I found something I'm good at that brings me attention. Because I was always, I was in need of a lot of attention. I was feeling very deeply all the time. And I just, I needed a lot of hugs and a lot of attention. And um, as you can imagine, my parents had six children. I was number five or six. That's not always a guaranteed thing in that kind of situation where parents are working because you're not affluent enough to have a parent home. Um, so that's what happened. And I, I wrote about all the depressing things. And then um, my cousin, had ended up moving to Jacksonville from Chicago. And uh, he asked me why I was sad all the time. And I told him I ain't know shit. And then uh, he was like, listen to this. He just as sad as you are or some shit. He gave me a Tupac, Tupac lives now tape, you know, trying to be funny. Because Tupac was a sad kid too. And then um, I listened to it and I cried. It made me cry when I heard Brenda's got a baby. And it made me cry, and then it made me like really want to turn my my poetry and my rap music into stories. And I that's really when I found my love for hip hop. That's really, you know, that was the year that I made my first suicide attempt. I was ten years old, um, and so that was like a life changing moment. Without him even knowing it, something as simple as just you know wondering, having a question, and actually being brave enough to ask. You know what I'm saying? Because sometimes people won't give you the answer that you're expecting or the answer that we've been programmed to give. You know, sometimes people will be honest, will be brave enough to be honest. And since you were brave enough to ask the question, my hope is that you'll be brave enough to stand and, and assist. You know what I'm saying? In whatever way that person may need at that time, because it may just need them to hear you. For, they may just need for you to hear them. Mm. And you may just need to hear that story, you know what I'm saying? To get through whatever you had. In my condition, I needed to hear Tupac's story. I needed to hear Brenda's story so that I could learn how to navigate properly my circumstances. And so what I navigated was that I should be writing and I should be telling my story because nobody can tell my story but me and I wouldn't be alive to tell my story. And so that's how I got into poetry. And then um, through poetry, like really got into biblical, literature because it's it's all and both of my parents are pastors so I got into that and when I got into biblical literature it attracted me to comic books because comics um 
like the superhero, like Jesus is like a superhero, you know what I'm saying? And so it's like <laughs> the, the comics tell you like different kinds of stories about the savior, you know, yeah. character. They're parables in themselves. They're parables, you know, and you can always learn a lesson. There's always a moral to the story. And they're always like some things that are applicable to real life that can help you get through your circumstances. So um, that I found a love for comics and I got into that. And then through my love for comics, it made um, more sense for me to like write curriculums um, that utilize popular culture and the classroom and academic environment because I was always like one for school. Like, I loved school. Like that was my escapism with school. Everybody has their own little thing that they use to pretend like they're not who they are. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and school was my thing. You know, I could not be the sad kid at school because I was good at it. You know, and everybody wanted to hear what I had to say. So I went to school and I, I did well, straight A student. You know what I'm saying? And um, so I wrote curriculum, got into writing curriculum. And um, that brought open so many doors that got me into visual arts. I, I became an art collector, um, just through writing art-based curriculum. It, like um, put me in the room with a lot of well-known and, and, and profound visual artists. And mm-hmm. I got a chance to interact with them and collaborate with them. Uh, Grace Bio was the first one. And uh, she's a Philippine sister who's so dope, so dope, muralist, international, renowned painter. And she put me on. And I through her, I got introduced to the artistic community. And then um, the instrumental community through Travis Thomas, who's a composer here who helped me write my curriculum, my first curriculum, School Beats, which is like in 48 programs across the country. Mm. So um, that's how... My circumstances got me into art and the art got me into other circumstances. Yeah. But it all came back, you know, to poetry. <laughs> it always comes back to poetry. That's my yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. You, talk, you talked earlier about um, uh, self-identity, uh, knowing, knowing who you are. Uh, I've always known you as being someone who's very, very comfortable in their culture. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and, I, and I'm kind of like, you know, at what point um, in your in your life journey did you become comfortable enough uh, in that culture um, to to put you know to to appear as you do? I okay. It's so it's half my mom and half my dad. Okay, so um, when I was in middle school. One of the reasons why I, I had a lot of emotional issues was I got picked on a lot because I was very dark skinned and um, my facial features, they're very African. Like you can tell that there's African in my family. And so they used to, the boys, they used to call me Mother Harry. And I, I had like, I wasn't developing as quickly as the other girls were. So I had flat chest. And so they told me I was president of the ABDT committee. And they used to say that and call me Mother Harriet, right? And it used to make me cry, it used to make me sad. And I had a lot of like issues looking in the mirror. Like I felt ugly, very ugly. And my father, you know, I remember I was crying one time about it and my dad got so angry with me because he was like, you're you're sad that they, they call you Harriet Tubman? They call you Mother, Mother Harriet Tubman? Do you know who Harriet Tubman was, you know? and. Um, he told me that I got my nose from his mother. 
that he gave me that news from his mother. It was passed down to him from his mother. His mother was the strongest woman that he's ever known in his life. Um, and, you know, Harriet Tubman was a great American hero. That's what he said. She was a great American hero. Mm. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. you're bugging. Like, he was so mad at me. He was like, you're bugging. For real. You know, get together. But he, you, you from College Park, Atlanta. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, you know, you, where Martin Luther King from, man. Hey, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You, you're my daughter. You know, get it together. Yeah. And um, it changed the way I look at a lot of things. And then on my mother's side, she comes from a family where her grandfather, um, they call him Big Daddy. Can you believe that? <laughs> they so country. Uh, they're from Livingston, Alabama. But my mom's from south side of Chicago. But her parents, they're from Livingston, Alabama. My granddaddy had such a talk game. Like My grandma was like 21 years old. She was at a party. And she said he walked up to her at a party. And he had some, some excellent conversation. By the end of the conversation, he was like, I'm going to marry you. I'm going to move to Chicago because I'm going to go up there and get some work and buy a house. And I'm going to come back and marry you. And she was like, okay, whatever. And you know, he came back and married her. Chicago, <laughs> and they have five kids. That's the way you do it. <laughs> and they're still married. <laughs> That's the way you do it. <laughs> I was like, Anyway, his daddy owns a farm. Uh, it's I, I believe it's I believe it's thirteen acres or more. Um, it's thirteen acres or more of lakefront Alabama property, and it's called Martin Estates. That's my mother's maiden name, Martin Estates. Um, that's the family that she comes from. And my granddaddy, uh, I think he was part of the Great Migration where all those Southern men moved up north to the factories and stuff like that. And he moved to Chicago and um, they raised their, their kids in, a house, in the home that he purchased that was paid off the year before I was born. And um, all our kids are going out the house and they still live there together, caring for each other. Mm -hmm. And um, that's where my mother comes from, mm -hmm. is uh, farmers, uh, turned industrialists and um, survivors of both. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Of both. Because Chicago ain't no punk. My grandparents <laughs> still live on the south side. You hear me? Ain't nobody ever ran up in my granddaddy's. <laughs> Never. And he don't drive, the man don't drive anything but a Cadillac. You know? But they, they, there's a respect there um, mm -hmm. that exists. You know what I'm saying? There, Some places there's still honor. Yeah. Some places they still have honor. And ironically, those are those very places that um, on the media they would tell you is is uh, the wilderness. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I married a country boy. I know, you know, like <laughs> that them roads that are way off the beaten path, like that's where the good that's where you find the good people. <laughs> now, let me ask you, you um you're a multidisciplinary artist, okay? You do poetry, yeah. you do music, you 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 do playwriting, you do museum curating, you do graphic <laughs> novels and 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 comics. Like, is that does that come out of a you just have so much to give that it can't be confined to one medium? Or <laughs> like, where does that come from? Are you ADD? He's asking if you're ADD. <laughs> so yes, um, <laughs> I I I am ADD. But I manage it very well. 
Um, I'm trying to manage it better by compartmentalizing. That's my word for the year. Um, but also, I feel, like I said before, I feel very deeply. And because I feel very deeply, it goes like this, mm-hmm. right? I, I don't do this. It goes like this. And it used to manifest in anger and aggression. I used to fight all the time. My knuckles, if you just see them, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, very counterproductive. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Um, but when I learned how not to do this, you know what I'm saying? How to, how to like do this, I could do anything. Like I learned how to do everything. Like I learned how to tell my story in so many different facets in so many ways that I wasn't internalizing the things that were making me ill because I had become so ill and sick with life. You know what I'm saying? Like I was so ill and sick with life. And I was attracting a lot of negative people around me because I was so sick myself. And because I thought so poorly on myself, I was attracting a lot of people who thought the same, who agreed with me, Mm. that I was a a mess. And, you know, a lot of people who, you know, under the guise of let me care for you, you know what I'm saying? Let me help you, you know, took advantage of me. And I, I lost a lot of time, you know, and a lot of, a lot of love for myself dealing with people who were not affirming or encouraging of my growth um but for whatever reason felt more comfortable around me when i was when i was depressed and suicidal um because the better i learned to manage my mental and emotional illness um the less i have people from my past around and that is interesting and that's something no one told me about and their healing process Mm-hmm. But I'm dealing with it and compartmentalizing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they can't deal with this 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 new you. You know, <laughs> yeah, you kind yeah. of you kind of alluded to something earlier, and and I was like, you know, um, going over some of your videos online uh, preparation, kind of like to see um, some more of your work. Uh, but what's the role of your faith in your work in your poetry? Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, Freedom. All of my poems are about being free. Uh, Maya Angelou, the cage bird sings because she remembers what freedom was like. You know, and I believe in genetic memory. And I believe that my ancestors communicate with me. That's my faith, is that my ancestors are the most holy ghosts I know. And they care for me deeply. And they believe in me. And they have faith in me. And through my work, I'm able to um, speak not only on my own behalf, but on behalf of the things that I remember, like freedom, you know, and what it takes to get that, to have that and maintain that and the discipline that is necessary to ensure that your children have that, you know, and that's what I write about. And that that is the heart of my everything that I do, whether it be a comic or a song or a poem or a play, whether it be an affirmation or a haiku, you know, that is the heart of it all. And that's why I, I love teaching so much as well, is because it gives me an opportunity to um, g- give my ancestors access to the future. Mm-hmm. And that's what I mean, is this the future? You know, because it don't feel like you. It feel like an imitation of life. 
Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And feel like something's not quite right. It feel like, you know, it's a whole lot of people passing, you know, as whatever they claim to be, but they not really that. They, mm-hmm. pre- you know, pretending. And now the, the great mother, as in the earth, is responding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is responding and showing up at school like, that's my baby right there. Yeah, you mine too. Mm-hmm. I know you're angry. I know you're angry, but you're mine too. My angry little baby, you're mine too. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And you, 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 you cannot escape me. You mm-hmm. feel me? And that's my biggest thing with the climate crisis is that none of us can escape the earth if she would like to rid herself of us. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> if it would like to rid itself of us, if they would like to rid themselves of us, you did. None of none of us mm-hmm. can escape them. Um, and so, you know, I I feel like that is something that also lends an opportunity for unity and some understanding mm-hmm. and to be understood and some togetherness, even if we can't gather. You know what I'm saying? Is that like who's gonna be the one to convince us to save ourselves and each other at the same damn time? We can't even convince people to wear a mask to save themselves and each other at the same damn time. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean that okay. Uh, like I want my surgeon in a, in a mask. That's simple. That's my argument. That's that. If yeah. I go in for surgery, I would prefer my surgeon to be in a mask. You know why? Because that motherfucker got germs. Right. <laughs> <laughs> now, you, I, you don't want any more. <laughs> it's enough. I love that you talk about the future, and and uh, <laughs> I want to talk about you and your work a little bit before we shift into like you as an educator. Um, I love listening to you because there's a lot of literary devices that you freely employ. There's, there's rhyme, there's meter, there's alliteration. I love alliteration, you know, like, and you mentioned Dr. Seuss earlier in, in your (laughs) formative years. So I'm curious, like who, who are your influences, you know, because like there, you, you've got a style, you know, you know what's interesting is Kuangoza, which is um, my hip hop project that's coming soon, is about that. That's what it's about. Um, my influences, because it means guide. It's Kiswahili for guide or lead, mm. and so these are uh, those who lead or guide me. Influences. So, um, of course, Malcolm X is one of my greatest influences. Um, Coretta Scott King is one of my greatest influences, um, Queen Latifah, Stevie Wonder, uh, Prince, uh, Aretha Franklin, um, Stan Lee, um, Octavia Butler, um, Trick Daddy, <laughs> Tupac Shakur naturally mm-hmm. um Lauren Hill Missy Elliott mm-hmm. definitely Missy Elliott um yeah it's a whole um outcast and uh Huey Newton Asada Shakur mm. Nina Simone Keith Rogers, Queen Sheba, Sonny Patterson, um, 
Malika Hami, but um, she's now a Joe K. Olani Pickle. Mm. Um, Shakandria, aka Icon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Moses West, Matthew Cuba Hernandez, um, Keith Rogers, I think that goes without saying. Uh, yeah. Dorian Paul D. Rogers, Serafina Ethereal. Yeah. Those that's are, a, that's my. That's an amazing list because it, 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 it's <laughs> a whole. Like, like it. I said, it's multi-generational. Uh, <laughs> what's really interesting, or what I think is really cool, is that you include contemporaries as your influences. Mm-hmm. Well, that's who stuff I be reading, and that's who shows I be watching and taking notes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I got, actually, I got a new um, performance influence in Kylie Lacey because I saw one of her features, one of them hour-long features she be doing for colleges. I got a chance to see one. And I'm like, oh, okay. So that's what we be doing. Uh, them hour-long features ain't easy. They are not easy. No, no, not at all. Because um, I do, if I do college, I do plays. I do theater, theatrical performances. Um, I've never done a full poetry set, hour-long poetry set for a college. Like I've done that for like a private booking, but never for a college, and never like you know, 100 plus times a year. Mm-hmm. Asia Samson. You know what uh-huh. I'm saying? 300 and, <laughs> I think 352 shows or something uh-huh. in a year. Asia. You know, um, which is, I mean, you have to have an incredible amount of discipline. Like, to pull that off and make every show good, three or three thousand, fool. You talk about three or three thousand? Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a really great segue to a, a question we had from the audience, which was, uh, what is something you haven't done that you'd like to do creatively? I would like to go on world tour. <laughs> That's what I was planning before COVID happened. Oh. I was going to go on my first global tour. Would you believe that? With my album, Kuma Gosa, which means guide. I was going to be like the whole brand is like my tour guide. You know what I'm saying? Where in the world does every paint English? That was the name of the tour. <laughs> Probably San Diego. San Diego is my favorite villain. You know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> she was never caught. And she only stole art from the people who stole it first. You know what I'm saying? Hey. <laughs> I mean, that's what she did. She was a whole hero. Can you go give her her props? You know what I'm I love it. And she was in a trench coat uh, with a summer hat while she was doing it. I just can't. Oh. Everywhere. That little, like, mm, you can only see part of my face. Fabulous. So. <laughs> Fabulous. Fabulous. I love it. <laughs> well, let's let's pivot a little bit and talk about you as an educator, because you have definitely worked uh, with various groups of people, you know, all all over the place. Um, and so it's, it's kind of like a two-part question. But the first part is which group do you enjoy working with the most? Oh man. Educationally, I enjoy I enjoy high schoolers the most. And why? <laughs> but I feel like I'm most called to work with middle schoolers, if that makes sense. Oh, okay. Okay. Can you elaborate? Yeah, explain that a little more because Okay. So I enjoy working with high schoolers. High schoolers because they get me and I get them. That's my little lane right there. That 
like when they old enough to, to really think for themselves and express their autonomy and really receive what you they have enough discipline to listen when you talk mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying um that's what i can bet i can do more with them in a shorter period of time mm-hmm. with middle schoolers that is the years of uncertainty those are the years of uncertainty mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying and and lying there's a lot of lying going on first to yourself you know what i'm saying then to your parents and then you know it just trickles down to your teachers and everybody else Uh okay they they really a lot of them struggle with a strong sense of self and awareness and um that is something that i struggle with and those are the years that uh, were the hardest for me emotionally to survive myself Mm -hmm. um and I feel like because I was able to survive, it is my duty to assist someone else along the way. So although it's hard to get them to listen when I'm talking to them about something serious, and it's hard to get them to write because they lie to themselves daily, and I require that they be honest with their notebooks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're just stubborn. I don't know. They got yeah, yeah. whatever purity. I don't know. <laughs> whatever it is, they got it, and yeah. I don't like it. But but um, if I'm with them, like a lot of kids that I'm with from six through 12 with my program, um, they are graduating college now and just doing phenomenal things and traveling abroad and just just being amazing humans. And I'm like, hmm, you know, not so bad. <laughs> Warmth in your heart there that, that they're yeah. Just- yeah, of course, because it's like. Um, sometimes you get to them in high school and you're just there to plant the seed. You don't get to see it harvest. Mm-hmm. You're just there to plant it. You don't even get to water it. They're they're gone. They're out of there. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're if you're blessed enough to have a kid from the sixth through twelfth grade and um, really be actively involved in that process of self discovery, then not only do you get to plant the seed, but you get to water that. And you get to see the, you know, it at least sprout food, even if you don't get to eat from it because they move to other communities for college and things like that and serve as that community at that time. But, you know, at least I saw the fruit, like, actually bloom on a tree. I saw it, yeah. you know, before they left here. And that's the that's the most amazing feeling because mm-hmm. it, it does it does make my life feel p- purposeful yeah. and it does um give me something to aspire to like as in growth like it makes me want to continue oh, right. because oh, if i can see where the kids have been mm-hmm. then it allows me to like look at myself and say no matter where i came from no matter what my circumstances are i i still nobody's beyond recovery that's something my mom would always say. Nobody is beyond recovery. Mm-hmm. And that's including me, Ebony K. English. You know what I'm yeah. saying? And so that's that's what those kids do for me. It's like they, they prove it to me time and time again. Now, you may have already answered the second part of my question, but it was going to be like, what what which group do you find the most challenging to work with? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, elementary kids love me. You know what I'm saying? That's the only thing I say. That's the only thing I say. You know, they, they look at me, they take one look at my hair. Or my makeup, and they're like, or my shiny fingernails, because I be having um, the Swarovski crystal joints on my uh, fingernails, and they they shine. They like shiny. She's shiny. <laughs> I love her. I love her. I do whatever she wants. You know, middle school kids, they be like, 
Fuck her and her shiny fingernails. <laughs> mm-hmm. Who she thinks she is? I mean, I mean, that's what, what she's smiling about. Why are you so happy? I like, can't. Like, yeah. <laughs> I would. I know. I, I've been high school. I've not really a lot of elementary, <laughs> but the last time I was in the middle school, like they, I think that I've, this has come up before. I'm just sitting there, and they walk in and they're like, "Who's this guy, Fluffy?" <laughs> you know, they were like already making. Then they, they were like. Within earshot, and they didn't care that I could hear. They that. don't care. Yeah. They saw this was never. Yeah. <laughs> oh, kids. but yeah, that's a tough group. And I think that what you said is important. You know, you say that you got through it. You know, um, for me, I've, I've never really enjoyed working with middle school. I've always had an issue with it, and now I think it's probably because it was so hard for me to be in middle school that I don't want to like you know I don't want to channel that. I want I don't get. Hey, I don't get that it's a painful. It's painful memories, especially when you you can tell some kids are going through what you was dealing with. Like, and, and you just like, ah, ah, you know, it's a nobody. Our memories become our enemies, and nobody wants to, you know, go toe to toe with an enemy that look like them. Oh, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so it's like I don't want to ever talk to my middle school self. I hate her. She was awful. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> <laughs> we can't go back. We can't go back. <laughs> it's ugly. <laughs> but um it's necessary. We gotta I gotta forgive all of my past selves. Mm. I gotta forgive all of them because I wouldn't be who I am now if it wasn't for them surviving but whatever we was we was on at that time. And I love who I became. And so that means I gotta forgive um not only myself and my past selves, I got to forgive the people in my past. That don't mean I got to fuck with them, no. Mm-hmm. But I do forgive them because everything that happened, you know, led to to my ascension. So how could I ever be mad? You know, I became me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and that circumstance made me me. So mm-hmm. I ain't mad. Mm-hmm. You know, I still won't answer your calls. <laughs> <laughs> so let's so let's talk about that ascension. All right. <laughs> what does Ebony Payne English have coming forth in the future? Oh, so much. <laughs> um, but the album is coming. Who I'm I'm really excited about it. It's been a lot of trials, like COVID canceling the tour. But um, it's been a lot of trials. <laughs> but when this music comes, um, I think people will really better understand me as a musician and as an lyricist, because it's the album that I've been trying to push out of myself my whole life. It's just in too much pain to properly articulate. It's about things that I never could talk about. I never told a soul. I just sat with it until I found the words. And I, at last, give thanks, uh, found the words. And um, that's important to me. And it, it just came out in a hip hop poetry project. And um, I'm super, I'm super, super excited and proud of it. And that's Kuan Goza. Um, that's coming in October. And um, Mahogany Rose's third birthday is on the date that it's supposed to release. So mm-hmm. that's exciting. And um, I did write a play, The Goddess Experience, um, that was going to debut at the Times Union Center here. And um, that is on hold. I had to cancel that show because I didn't feel comfortable doing a show in a theater at this time. Mm-hmm. But that play is written, and I'm going to put it out even if it's um, as a movie 
I'm going to put forward that work. And it's called the Goddess Experience. And so that's coming. Um, I have a new comic coming that's called The Glorious Struggle of the Charismatic Hero. And it deals with mental and emotional deficiencies. Um, and so like the characters are my favorite, the names of the characters are my favorite part. Do y'all wanna hear the names of the characters? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so it's an adult comic, it's not for kids. Oh, okay. It, it's about mental health, it's about mental health. And my personal struggles with mental health and the lives of different people. So there is the charismatic hero, who's a poet, um, you know, that be lying to the mirror mainly. You know what I'm saying? That mm -hmm. I'm okay. I'm not really okay. <laughs> um, the charismatic hero. And they're going through a glorious struggle. You know what I'm saying? And then there's the press girl with the good pussy. And then there's anxious Abby. There's sad dad. And there's crazy Karen. And then there's goofy macho nigga. And those are the characters. I love it. I think I know all of these people. You do? Of course, <laughs> of course you do. We all do. And I might be like three of them too. So we all do. I know. <laughs> That's true. I love it. I love it. But, so, um, I finally found a way to be able to talk myself um, out and, you know, express myself about, you know, growing up with depression because it, it happened for me very early in life. And so, like, it's a little different. Um, just like having dealt with it as long as I haven't having it identified so early. Um, it was just, you know, just being conscious of it and the way in which it affects me, empowers me. Um, because I can see what's happening to myself and, and I can actually do take the steps necessary to just be be all right. And so at first I thought it was a, a curse that you know, I struggled with that for so long, but now I see that it was my greatest blessing because I actually found tools to equip myself with to get through it. And as a result, I'm able to teach my kids um, to equip themselves with whatever tools work for them mm -hmm. and get them through. So that's cool. Yeah. I wrote a comic about it. And it's that's awesome. That one. Truly I'm quite a journey. I'm excited. Truly quite a well, journey. One, one last thing. <laughs> um, how, what, how did um, Mahogany Rose change your poetry? Oh, I mean, my daughter improved me in every way. That's what she was sitting here to do, was to make me better and to see myself become better because she's the better version of me mm -hmm. and the best version of her father. So there she is, you know what I'm saying? Reminding us we got work to do. We have growth to achieve and accomplish. This two-year-old is shining on us, stunning on us, hiding mm -hmm. up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Tighten up, you know? Yeah. And um, I love it. She's, she's made me sharper. She's made me wittier. She's made me less serious. You know, I joke more. I've been telling jokes. I don't never joke. I be telling jokes. <laughs> <laughs> I be telling jokes. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, like when I'm in a joyful place, I am able to accomplish anything. I'm, I was never a person who could build things in their sadness, which is why my sadness is so detrimental to me because it only destroys things. I'm not creative when I'm sad. I cannot write when I'm sad. I can only create when I'm happy um, or when there is joy in my heart. And so because of that, um, I've been writing a lot more and I've been 
expressing myself in different forms of creativity a lot more. I've, I've um, expanded my bandwidth with, with my fashion and, you know, went into like um, preparing my clothing line and just expanding my, my limits, like pushing myself forward and the things that I'm interested in and having the, the courage um, to do so and, and the motivation because I'm building a, le- a legacy for her and I, I would like her to inherit something from me because mm-hmm. so many people who grew up like me don't inherit anything ever from anyone, you know what I'm saying? Not even true sense of wisdom and identity. And um, so I would like to pass that on to my daughter along with a bag for 50, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? And so um, I've been expanding, like getting my entrepreneurship on, getting my um, e-commerce together, my situation, like not giving up on myself, even though my shows got canceled, you know, I've lost uh, so, so much, you know, during this time, mm-hmm. um, income wise, but like she motivates me for to be unstoppable, mm-hmm. to become unstoppable. And because I'm motivated to become unstoppable, um, I'm able to motivate others. You know what I'm saying? To just, yeah. you know, put that shoulder forward, to the head, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and get it down there, get it done, get it done. Yeah. Well, as much as is left to be done, you have clearly done the work. You have absolutely done the work. And, uh, you know, we there there is hope, you know, with people like you out there bringing up the next generation. There's definitely hope for what comes what comes next. Um, It would be our honor if you would close us out with one more poem. Ah, blessings. Of course. Of course, I will. I am going to do this one. I um, I require us to do better by Breonna Taylor. Um, <laughs> I really, I really do, and um, I wrote this poem about the experience of just being being a black girl. And like things that things things that affect us, you know, in certain ways. So she tells me to focus more on the positive in my life when I write. And ain't that how all black girls were raised? What goes on in this house stays. That's how my body learned to carry the weight of a raid trauma piercing the armor of my solar plexus. Imbued upon my bruised psyche are the most unspeakable honesties. I censored my animosity for a spell. Eventually, I had to tell the inaudible truths that became a noose and choked out my blow. My body, an abandoned home, soulfulness foregone. Autopilot was present and effective, perfected the smile and nod, defrauded my memory bank, feigned evergreen contentment, took extended stays above the fray, and the edge and the age of fake it till you make it to a place preventing earnest enjoyment because it's devoid of some form of therapy, healthy coping mechanisms and relief. My poetry may not be as celebratory as you'd hope, but but poems have been the antidote on many occasions when muted demons came ailing me suicidal and denial beguiled me away from counseling. The prose in me still kept it real. Rhyme schemes helped me heal. Meter teetered on the edge of my sanity 
infinity when I was dangling from the ledge in gratuity. I have pledged my pen to give in to the voiceless pain we attempt to restrain so as not to ruin anyone's day with our baggage. I write to unpack it and perhaps someday find comfort in my most uncomfortable truths. <laughs> that was Ebony Payne English, everybody. Thank amazing. you so much. Amazing. We have learned so much. You know, you've gotten a lot of great comments. Uh, you might have to go back and read through them. You got at least one tip. Somebody said that they. <laughs> uh, so yeah, go back through and and, and see what oh, my, people so are. Send me a tip. Things. I like tips. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That's a, a very good point to make. If you guys, uh, for anybody that's watching or listening, if you are so inclined, you are so moved, please make sure you check the poet. She is on Cash Cash App, Ebony Payne English. She's on Venmo, Ebony Payne English. You can find her on Instagram at Ebony Ocean. And also, she's got a website, EbonyPayneEnglish.com. Go buy her merch. She's got shit on there. <laughs> you know? I got shit. Yeah. I love y'all. Thank you so much for sharing your platform. It was an honor. Thank you for being here. It was amazing. We really got to know the person behind the poetry. (laughs) And y'all know Southern Fry to be back. It will. It will. You know, don't even trip. Don't even trip. Because those those avatars were cute, but I need I need face. Yeah, I need a hug. Okay? I need a hug. A real I got one. <laughs> all right. Thank you. Bye. All right. All right. So, speaking of Southern Fried, what do we got coming up next week? Well, Eddie. it's a, it's a Southern Fried friend, somebody who I think might still be on the chat, still might still be in here. I saw a comment or two. <laughs> I saw him pop up earlier a little bit, you know, and uh, it's 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 someone who's become a good friend uh, from afar, uh, someone who I can identify with. You know, we got. We're at similar age in our life, and we have some very other similarities. Uh, we got coming Big Mike mm. to, uh, to to share his work and his wisdom with all us, way, all the way from the northeast. That's right, from up there, from way up there, from way up there. Big Mike's coming up next week, and we have such an exciting lineup over the next few weeks. We just solidified that lineup, like oh I God. think two hours ago, it's and. Impressive. Yeah, the next two months are going to be fantastic. So please make sure to join in. Oh, look, it's Big Mike. He's like, (laughs) So if you want to know more about upcoming shows and the other initiatives that Write Art Out are putting in place, make sure that you follow uh, the Blah Poetry Spot on Facebook, B-L-A-H, Blah Poetry Spot. If you're watching this, you know it. And then on Instagram, Write Art Out, W-R-I-T-A-R-T-O-U-T. And if you want to catch up on past episodes of this fantastic show, we are available wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Podcasts. That's right. Just search for Blah Poetry anywhere that you get your podcasts. Tomorrow, who did I just finish? Edward Vidaure's episode will be coming up. So you can find that and anything that came before that. We got got 15 episodes on our podcasts. One, five, 15. Anywho, until next week when we get some wisdom from Big Mike, uh, that is Eddie Vega. And that is Chibi Orduña. And this has been Words and Shit. Thank you so much for joining us. Stay safe, everybody. everybody.